Welcome to North Shore News Week. Hello, hello, North Shore, and welcome to a late night edition of the record uh, of North Shore News Week, a product of the recordnorthshore.org, your friendly neighborhood nonprofit news site. Uh, I am Joe Coglin, and he is Martin Carlino, and we are two of the co founders of the record. Uh, which started about six months ago um, to uh, help fill the, the news gap here for re- responsible local coverage of your community of New Trier Township. Um, this is North Shore News Week. We run through the week in headlines, um, the week that was for you guys, um, kind of short bursts. The complete stories of everything we're about to tell you are on our website, the North Shore uh, the record northshore.org. I said late night because we're recording a little later than usual just to, to try to squeeze it in before a busy Thursday. So uh, that's when we're recording Wednesday evening. So without further ado, we're going to break this down into three segments. Uh, the lead story up and down the shore where we touch on every community we cover or which ones that, that have stories for the week and the featured feature before sending you on your way. So uh, here we go with the lead story. At the end of March, a story came out in the New York Times that um, about safeguard screening, which is used a lot, utilized by Nutria High School, as well as um, a couple dozen other high school, a couple other dozen public districts in Illinois and in Wisconsin as well. Um, and they do uh, surveillance testing um, for COVID-19, um, which is not a diagnostic test. Um, but they basically screen for the, for the coronavirus, and um, then it's backed up by, or they suggest, a medical test. The New York Times article put safeguard screening in the spotlight and used Nutria High School as the hook to get us in there, um, and basically saying that safeguard was under investigation by the Illinois Department of Public Health, and that those who used it, specifically Nutria High School in this article, are Uh, running afoul is their headline is how they used it of federal regulations. Um, We looked into this a lot deeper because since we've been reporting on it, Martin specifically for the past six months, basically since we launched, um, we have pretty in-depth knowledge of what was going on here. And uh, we have some updates for you and some things we learned from talking with um, not just Nutria High School and the New York Times, but also the Illinois Department of Health and some federal agencies that are involved well as well. And I'll let Martin tell you exactly what we find out, found out about the New York Times story, which isn't 100% accurate. Yeah, so a couple of days after this story had published, Joe, we, um, and I should say the day after it published, we saw Nutria High School issue its first statement, um, as well as a couple other districts in our area. Wilmette Public Schools is one that jumps to mind. Uh, and that is a district that has also u- utilized safeguard screening. Uh, but the original statement that Nutria came out with um, defended its use of, of safeguard screening, said that it was uh, that it believes it was totally legal and they did not violate any uh, regulations and did not try to, um, you know, slip anything by as potentially the Times article was alluding to. Then a few days later, we got a more detailed 2,600 words to be exact statement from Nutria High School Superintendent uh, Dr. Paul Sally, who uh, long story short, called the Times' article um, 
inaccurate and misleading. And he said, and, and he was calling on the times to issue a retraction of the story. So uh, of course, once we saw both sides of, of the story, uh, one side being what the New York times had authored in its reporting uh, in the article that it had published and the follow-up statement from uh, New Trier, we had went to work on our own to try to figure out, you know, what was actually the, the real thing and what was actually the real situation here. So um, in the Times article, as you mentioned, Joe, they said that uh, Safeguard was under investigation by IDPH. We were able to confirm that through uh, a spokesperson from IDPH, and um, they they did confirm that at one point they there was a, a quote-unquote uh, investigation into Safeguard, but the Times article had said that the investigation was still ongoing and had led readers to believe that there was more that could come from that. However, we touched base with IDPH, as I said, and uh, found out that that was not true, that that investigation had since been closed and that they had found, uh, you know, no clinical proceedings to move forward uh, that would indicate there was any wrongdoing or anything um, out of the ordinary that was that was said and done by Nutria through Safeguard. So uh, we did find out through that interview with IDPH, though, that, you know, some complaints had been made against Safeguard and had eventually been referred to two federal agencies, which were the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and the and, and CMS, which is the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. So uh, one of the uh, other points in the article mentioned that uh, CMS had not issued a what's called a CLIA certification for uh, the testing um, for the saliva screener program that, that's done through Safeguard. So um, one of the thesis uh, and main points of the article that the Times had authored said that uh, in order to be uh, to, to comply under federal regulations and regulations with COVID-19 testing, that they needed this certification to uh, run a diagnostic test. However, the key distinction here is that the saliva screener program that Nutria is using is not a test, but rather a screener. Uh, to kind of sum it up as best as we possibly can here, it uh, collects saliva samples from students and members of the Nutria community, and then those samples are sent to a lab. And if those lab, if that lab finds a trace of the COVID-19 virus, it flags the sample and then alerts the uh, party of whoever the sample was, and then they are referred to a diagnostic PCR COVID-19 test, which then uh, confirms that there is a case of COVID-19. The, you know, the great benefit of the saliva screener program is its uh, stated accuracy in flagging uh, saliva samples that do have traces of COVID-19. I believe the percentage was well over 99% of samples that, it's that it flags um, that it believes has traces of COVID-19 then turn into COVID-19 cases. So, uh, Long story short, we found out that they did not need that certification uh, to run the test. And then they did later on obtain that certification this year. Um, but as you had mentioned a little bit earlier there, Joe, Nutrier, I think, came into focus on this Times article because uh, it was really the first major district in, in the state to utilize this um, safeguard saliva screening program. And they first approved the use of it in early October right when the record first launched and we've been reporting on it ever since, as you mentioned. Um, another point that the article alleged that sort of caught the ire of uh, Dr. Sally and Nutri officials was uh, 
saying, alleging that, uh, you know, the community wasn't happy with what the safeguard screening program has provided to Nutria and the community uh, so far. And it's from everything we've heard from district officials and every, uh, all the interviews we've conducted and board meetings we've reported, we found that that is uh, nowhere near the case as it's received a, a pretty overwhelming support from both the community and um, district officials. We've seen high participation rates in it even before it was uh, quote unquote mandated by Nutria, even though they never were able to reach a full 100% participation for in-person learners. But it certainly seems like both the community and district officials found great value in this uh, screening program. And at the at the time we're recording this podcast, it had helped Nutria identify over, I think, 120 cases of COVID-19. So without this screener program in place, those cases could have potentially been in school and could an increased community spread of the virus. So just to summarize a little bit, the Times article kind of um, implied that Nutria was doing things, uh, for lack of a better term, in a shady fashion. Um, to skirt regulations from all the organizations, both federally and statewide that we talked to, they said that is not true, at least right now. While there were four complaints given to the IDPH, who passed it to the federal agencies, they are no, uh, safeguard screening is not under investigation, um, nor was it ever by IDPH technically in, under investigation. So, and they said they are free to do the screening. So, they are free to do the screening. Um, it's no longer an issue. So read that full story. There are so many parts to that and there's so much to unpack about it um, that you should read the whole thing and, and maybe previous coverage as well as that. Yeah, I think we got to uh, offer our apologies for trying to summarize, you know, four or five days of reporting into a couple of minutes there. But as Joe mentioned, hopefully you can have a chance to check out the article because I think I'm pretty fair to say we, we summarize it a little better in that article. <laughs> yeah hopefully um so check it out that is our lead story we're going to go up and down the shore a little bit here uh we we try to touch on every community we cover from glencoe down to wilmette um right down the shoreline as it says and we're going to start in glencoe um a little fun story where a a cookbook is helping raise some money for a local school yeah a little bit of a twist this year for the glencoe junior high project joe which is a, a nonprofit run by parents of Glencoe uh, fifth through eighth grade students that sort of is aimed at creating, uh, you know, in and after school programming for their children. So typically every year that uh, every year, the Glencoe junior high uh, project has a fundraiser where they sell uh, programs to their uh, play as a way to raise, raise funds. But this year with the uh, spring play not happening, there was a bit of a twist and they decided to uh, take part in a new fundraiser called the Quarantine Cookbook, which is a cookbook that puts together recipe submission, that is putting together recipe submissions from uh, 25 local restaurants all into the same book. So uh, one of the uh, hobbies that's been taken up by a lot of people and a lot of locals during the pandemic is, is cooking. It's uh, a fun, safe, safe activity that can be done uh, indoors. And uh, this cookbook compiles, you know, more than two dozen res recipes from some of your favorite local restaurants and gives uh, readers a chance to check it all, all out at once. Um, the sale of the cookbook as of uh, recording has, uh, has expired, but I believe if you are still interested in it and were um, hoping to, to reach out to the organizers of it, that you might still be able to get um, your hands on a copy. But we've got the, the story up on our website with some more information and you can see the participating restaurants 
um, who took part in the cookbook. Um, and that's, yeah, you can see all that on our site, uh, therecordnorthshore.org and moving down one town, skipping over to Winnetka. A um, lot of business openings, a lot of ribbon cuttings lately, which is uh, very nice to see uh, amid a pandemic still. Yeah, we've had a little bit of a business boom in Winnetka here recently, and we've covered a lot of um, new business openings uh, in Winnetka and throughout our coverage area. But we put together a little photo, photo gallery and a short story of uh, some of the new businesses that have opened up that had that recently had ribbon cuttings and uh, little small and safe celebrations during uh, during the last month. So uh, just some of those businesses real, real quick are Pedago Electric Bikes, which is on Green Bay Road in downtown Winnetka. Uh, Alchemy and Cloth, which is a, uh, a local clothing store in Winneka as well, and then some uh, expand the expansion of Taco Nano in uh, downtown Northfield over there, which we reported on as well, and then uh, another new uh, clothing business as well in Winneka in Northfield, I should say. So um, some new businesses coming into town, which is an encur- encouraging sign, no matter what, but especially uh, extra encouraging during. Uh, the, during the pandemic, which has been a very tough time for many local businesses uh, th- throughout the country. Yeah, very cool to see. Um, we're going to sidestep west over to Northfield. This also involves Kenworth, and to be honest, it involves all our communities to talk a little bit about voter turnout. Um, we didn't lead with this to kind of spare you more election coverage if you're fatigued a little bit after the local elections, but let me run down a little bit for you, the voter turnout this. So these are unofficial numbers still. There are still a couple uh, mail-in ballots. I do say a couple because sometimes that's really all it is at this point. Um, they count the mail-in ballots that have come in. The only ones left are the ones that really haven't got there yet. And we're moving into April 15th. So uh, the final day was today. So we should have final certified results within the next few days here um, when they check those out. But these are these are pretty close to what you're going to see. And um, in Wilmette and Kenilworth, we're seeing percentages above 20 percent. Those were the two leaders in our five towns, which also includes uh, Winneka, Northfield and Glencoe. Um, Winneka was the lone township community that's under 10 percent. We saw it about uh, about nine. But Wilmette led the way. Twenty three point five percent of the villages, uh, 22,000 registered voters. Um, that was the better than two years ago, consolidated election. Those num- that number is pretty good, pretty on par um, for a consolidated election. So a, a pretty good turnout there for Wilmette comparatively, um, led by a bunch of contested elections is why they came out, I, w- I would imagine, for the park board, for village president race, um, et cetera. Um, and then uh, Kenilworth also saw above 20. They also had um, a large um, Two, two. They had two um, contested elections. The village president and the um, trustee race was also contested um, by challengers, even though there was a caucus slate. So um, this was the largest turnout in um, Kenilworth for 12 years. Um, largest seen since 2009 when 569 Kenilworth voters turned out. I know the number sounds small, but hey, Kenilworth is small. So they had just over 500 <laughs> this turnout and 569 uh, about 12 years ago. So um, overall in the area for the township, we saw a pretty regular turnout, which uh, to me uh, was actually a little surprising seeing as there was a um, pretty polarizing election there at the Nutrier 
Township High School District, or maybe that was just uh, what we saw here in the newsroom, but 17.5% um, turnout, um, which was about 9,000 voters um, of the township's uh, registered voters. Um, that's um, a little lower than 18% in 2019, um, a little farther down the, down the road, 19.7% in 2017. Um, and it was really close to 2013 where we had 17.6%. So um, kind of on par with the previous years in the whole township, um, but maybe on the little on the low side. So it's actually the lowest from the five cycles, but really close there. Um, Winneka, like I said, was at 9.85% uh, or 1,115 of the, the 11,000 registered voters. So uh, real low turnout in Winneka, no contested elections there or Glencoe or Northfield. Um, so you saw really low numbers there. Um, the, not the lowest, though. It was the lowest since 2015 when uh, only 4.6% of the, of the register turned out. Um, rounding it out, sorry, these are a ton of numbers, um, and I'm sorry to give you this, uh, this number scramble, but 11.8% um, let's just say 12% in Northfield and 12.5% in Glencoe. We'll round it off there for you. So check out all those numbers and more, um, just a little breakdown of the turnout, but overall for the township, 17.5%, Wilmette and Kenworth leading the way. Whew, that was a mouthful, but we'll, uh, we'll move it on down to Wilmette where we Some had a late night numbers with the record here, guys. Yeah. Always fun. Always fun. <laughs> maybe we, maybe we're off for numbers for, for another couple of years, but um <laughs> Uh, we'll move to Wilmette. We had a couple of news stories and we're going to talk about one that's um, been a hot topic and that's the kind of intergovernmental agreement about stormwater. And we're on to that next phase, which is what's on top of that in community play field. Yeah, you got it, Joe. Two big additions coming to community play field in uh, Wilmette. And those two additions are the uh, addition of a new walking path and the addition of a uh, freestanding bathroom structure Here's the catch. Here's the catch, though. We don't know anything about the details regarding them yet, as only uh, the Wilmette Park Board approved uh, just the walking path and uh, just the bathroom. We don't know the location of where the bathroom is going to go um, inside community play field yet, and we don't know how long the, the distance of the walking path yet. So it seems like the two favored options for the distance of the walking path are either a half mile or a mile. Uh, the point of contention right now is that the mile path is going to obviously be a, a much more substantial cost, more than double. I think officials are estimating upwards of $400,000 for that option, while the half mile path will cost uh, under $200,000. So big difference there. The, the mile path will also require some creative thinking in the sense that it will uh, require the park district to work around some of the existing trees and some of the uh, existing areas in the park that might be a little more harder to navigate because of the longer distance, whereas the half mile path is much more easier for the park district to implement. So no decision yet on the length. It kind of seems like they're a little bit 50-50 uh, split on that, but we'll see which path, no pun intended, they decide to move forward on. So moving over to the bathroom also, uh, has been uh, a significant discussion and something that's been uh, in the works for months here. But they approved a, a freestanding bathroom structure and the two locations that seem to be generating the most traction are 
is an option uh, one that they're describing as option B, which to describe uh, as simply as I can is uh, located near the baseball field near the parking lot. Uh, and then the second option is an option called option C, which is essentially located in uh, the middle of the park. So no decision yet on the location, the uh, specification uh, of the bathroom. Um, we, the park board said they'll, they'll continue to look at that. And we have to assume that the uh, incoming new members of the park board and the new park board that we'll see in a couple months will, uh, will be tasked with making that as one of their first decisions. So some, some much needed, it sounds like, and big changes coming to a, a favored park in Wilmette. And that's a big story um, for local Wilmette residents. Uh, there, was a, there was a bit of a um, uproar is the wrong word. It is the wrong word, but a bit of a, uh, some, some controversy, some skepticism from residents in that community right there about what was happening and, and maybe a lack of transparency and communication. So um, take a look at that. Um, it, it, there's a lot more to come there about the details of it, but they're moving right along. Um, and now I'm going to move on. That is up and down the shore as we move from Glencoe to Wilmette uh, with some of the stories. And we're going to go to our featured feature of the week and um, talk a little bit about Earth Day, which is um, Thursday, April 22nd. So coming up next uh, a week from when you're listening to this, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, but it's Thursday, April 22nd and, and what some local agencies are doing. So I'm going to run through some. Martin's going to run through some. Um, I'm going to talk about Wilmette real quick. Go Green Wilmette. All our communities um, that we cover here have a Go Green Wilmette attachment, um, nonprofit to it. So um, Go Green Wilmette was one of the first around here, and they're doing a live virtual event on 21st, um, which is um, day before, which is Wednesday at 2 p.m. Um, and it's sponsored by Make It Better Media Group, um, which full transparency, we have a partnership with as well. And um, it's dubbed B Building Resilience by Living Sustainably. You can go on our site and uh, register. You can also go to Go Green Wilmette, check it out. But it's a panel uh, of a few um, um, a, a few people in the industry um, talking about sustainability and talking about um, resilience in that field. Um, so that's on the 21st. And Go Green Wilmette um, is also continuing its webinar series, which is replacing its, its popular Go Green Matters Fair. Um, in the time of COVID, they have uh, held off on doing that large in-person fair. Um, so they do have two upcoming discussions, one this Friday at noon um, called Protecting Our Suburban Tree Canopy. So check that out. And then uh, five days later on the 20th, which is, um, what day is the 20th? I'm sorry, Tuesday. Tuesday. Thank you very much. <laughs> Tuesday, April 20th, uh, they're teaming with the Wilmette Theater as well as Trajectory Energy Partners to talk about community solar, which is a big movement in the solar um, industry, um, which uh, kind of utilizes a, as it says, community, um, kind of a cohort um, of users of the power. And uh, they're going to talk about that. So check that out, all the information on our site. And that is Go Green Wilmette. In Winneka, the local chapter uh, of Go Green Winneka is organizing what it's calling a two-week friendly competition called the Winneka Earth Day Challenge. So essentially what that is, is a community-wide competition for people of all ages who either live, work, worship, or attend school in Winneka. Um, and that, uh, that challenge is going to ask participants to uh, try and seek out ways to 
uh, establish and work on environmentally friendly behavior. So organizers of the challenge are, will then be asking people who participate to report their uh, progress daily to earn what they're classifying as points. And uh, at the end of the two-week challenge, then locals will have a chance to win cash for a nonprofit organization of their choice and also learn ways about how they can uh, reduce their carbon footprint. So um, a little bit of a challenge in Winneka and then in nearby Glencoe. Glencoe's Sustainability Task Force is organizing a uh, cleanup of Glencoe Parks and the lakefront on Saturday, April 24th two days after Earth Day. So that event is going to start at Veterans Memorial Park at two, at 299 Park Avenue in Glencoe, and it's going to run from 9 to 11 a.m. on that Saturday. So um, participants who, who take part in that event will be asked to clean up specific areas of the park. Um, if you plan on attending, organizers are asking you to uh, bring your own reusable bags and gloves as they Will, will not be provided. Uh, one of the, the safety protocols in place for the COVID-19 pandemic, there's no charge for the event. For the event, it's completely free. So if you're interested in uh, signing up, head on over to the Glencoe Park District's website and go ahead and register for that event next Saturday. So many ways you can uh, celebrate being environmentally friendly up on the upcoming Earth Day here. Yeah, guys, so get involved. Um, there's plenty of opportunities if you'd like to. Um, and all those stories and more available at therecordnorthshore.org. Uh, check them out. And also a reminder, there's tons of sports stories, too, that we don't talk about in this pod. We talk about on our other pod called The Varsity, um, which is uh, which we release on the same day, which should also be on that podcast page on our homepage. Um, and also be if you follow us on any of the uh, podcast uh, servers you, you are a part of, it should also be right there. So check it out, give it a listen, give it a like, uh, help us out a little bit. And, um, you know, if you like what we're doing, you like the service we provide, there's donate buttons everywhere you can find. Um, so check them out on our site and contribute to a good cause in your community. Going to give it a little peek ahead before we send you on your way. A couple stories coming up. Uh, Martin's on a new pizza shop in Glencoe. Yeah, there's uh, possibly some exciting times here in downtown Glenville, Glencoe, Joe, as we're thinking of, uh, as a new uh, pizza shop has submitted plans to the village of Glencoe uh, to come into a vacancy in downtown Glencoe at 688 Vernon, uh, 668, I should say, Vernon Avenue right there uh, in the downtown area. Plans are, are very early right now. And they've just submitted uh, their first exterior design review. So still a ways to go and still a ways off before it could potentially happen, but uh, always exciting times when a new restaurant could maybe join the downtown scene there in Glencoe. And then Joe is also working on a story about um, some, I should say all of the local boards in Wilmette now being, uh, now having a majority women on them. And that is the first time in village history uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but I believe believe so that that all uh, governing boards in in Wilmette have a majority of women on them. So uh, very encouraging to see that there. And then, as Joe alluded to, we've got tons of sports coverage coming up in the next couple of days here with uh, all the sports, all the sports that we're now classifying as summer sports kicking off their seasons, and the um, the finishing up of football and soccer seasons and uh, vol volleyball as well. So. Very, very busy times here. As always, we, we thank you for your readership and keeping up with us. 
Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, Martin, very much. And uh, guys, until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.